Hello? Hello, Bjorn? Yes. Hi, it's Dan Rubicon from ESPN. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Is this a good time to talk? Sure. So the reason I wanted to get a hold of you and the reason I'm at to Mary Lois is I read the article in Buffalo News. Did you yes. get a chance to read it? I haven't read the whole thing. No, I've seen parts of it. So one of the things that I think was interesting about the article was that it makes it seem like your life has taken quite a turn from your days of kicking the NFL and the CFL and the Arena League. Would you say that's true? <laughs> yeah, I, I say that's a little. <laughs> yeah, say the least. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. That's Bjorn Nitmo talking with ESPN producer Danny Aruda. Danny had gotten a hold of Bjorn's ex-wife, Mary Lois, and she was able to connect him to Bjorn, who had visited her and the children at their home in Winsboro, Texas, shortly before this call took place. What are you doing for a living right now? I install satellite dishes. And you're living somewhere in Arizona? Yeah. So I think the other thing that the article in the Buffalo News really kind of points out, and one of the reasons we're interested in is, you know, Mary Lois and the kids, when they talk about you, they're not exactly sure why you're not as much a part of their lives as you used to be. Does that have anything to do with what's going on with you physically? Probably. I don't know. Um, Before we split up or whatever you call it, it felt like uh, I was scared I was going to hurt me or because I guess I am mad. It's just, it wasn't a good situation. You know, I try. I try. I try to be there as when I can. You know, it's uh, it's a piece out there. I used to drive out there, but it takes so long to get there. So I try to find cheap flights when I can. Do you feel like your separation from your family is because you're worried about something you might do? Yeah. During a trip to visit his family in Texas, Bjorn allowed Danny and a camera crew to tag along. He had also agreed to allow Danny and the crew to visit him in Arizona at a later date. At first, communicating with Bjorn was easy. He would return phone calls, he would return texts. But after spending time with him and the family in Texas, the communication dried up. And it was very difficult to get a hold of him to coordinate a visit with him in Arizona. Problem is, Danny had never gotten an address from Bjorn. Bjorn had become elusive once again. We wanted to see where he was living, what he was doing for work, and in general, what his life was like. Four months after his initial Buffalo News story, Tim Graham published a follow-up. For this piece, he took a road trip with Mary Lois after Bjorn had accepted a request from her to visit. At the time... Bjorn was living in an RV park in Williams, Arizona, a small frontier-like town 160 miles north of Phoenix. Mary Lois's, uh, her guess was that he was just blowing it off as, yeah, yeah, sure, come out and see me, and they'll never come out and see me. Well, 
we went out to see him, and we had some trouble finding him, and eventually we found him uh, working at, a, at an RV park uh, where he uh, essentially does odd jobs in exchange for a space to park his trailer. When they recognize Bjorn at a short distance, he's in a flannel jacket. As Tim describes in his story, reading glasses atop his head, surrendering after a long day's work, his breath visible in the orange twilight. The trailer Bjorn was living in has roof damage and water leaks in. He's not doing well. It was very hard for Mary Lois to see how he's living. It was the first time she had ever seen him uh, in Arizona, uh, since they divorced anyway, uh, when they lived in Arizona. Um, And it was, uh, I think, both traumatic at the time for her, but therapeutic also to see how he lives. As she's repeatedly told me, it breaks her heart, but um, she had to see it for herself. Danny teamed up with reporter Chris Conley, who sat down with Bjorn to do a sit-down on-camera interview after they finally got a hold of him. Among the many things discussed, Bjorn's recollection of the moments after the hit in Atlanta. Do you remember being on the sideline? I have no clue. Forgetting that you had two daughters, thinking that you only had one, you don't remember that? No. I've I've heard here lately. The stories of of all of that, and it's uh, kind of sucks. It's like somebody is talking about somebody else. Only that's you they're talking about. Yeah, and uh, you know it's amazing sitting here talking about things up to that point that I remember, and. Uh, not a clue. But you didn't just talk about the way you forget stuff now. You talked about other things that changed after that. The, I, ang- the anger. Where did I didn't that... realize that. I didn't realize that too much later. For years, I guess, there's been anger and, and blow-ups and, and whatever. And... I don't think I realized until early 2000s that I just, I couldn't control myself and uh, had to physically remove myself from situations that I knew pissed me off to the point that I was scared of not being able to control myself. You're talking about being with your family now. Yeah. And, and just not being able to to handle the the chaos of the kids and the screaming, the high-pitched screaming of the kids would just put spikes in my head. Just drive you crazy. Your kids. Yeah. Kids you love. Still do. Bjorn says the reason he walked out on his wife and kids was his temper, which would spiral out of control at times. It got to the point where I got so mad it scared myself that I was scared I couldn't 
control myself. Who did you tell that to? Nobody. So to them, it just looked like you left. Well, it was better for me to be away. It wasn't enough to be away from them. Bjorn couldn't even bring himself to call them on a regular basis. He would just disappear. It was too hard to talk to him. It was your job. Not when you have madness going on in your head. As painful as it was on them, it was as painful on me. I had to get away from the situation that I could possibly do from them. And it was as hard to talk to them. And it was better for me to be away from that than anything else. In recent years, Bjorn has made an effort to rekindle some sort of relationship with his four children. Often showing up unannounced, it is always weird. He looks older. While back he came in, he looked kind of homeless, but I'm trying to remember what my mom called him, like a mountain man or something. I mean, he just had full beard, long hair, just grungy looking. That's 23-year-old Katarina, Bjorn's oldest daughter. This isn't my dad. Who's this stranger standing in front of me? Like, I'm talking to some random person. It's not, the like, the person I knew. Strange, heartbreaking. Because I'll never talk to the same dad that I did years ago. It's awkward. <laughs> A little. And that's Madeline, the second oldest. She's 20. Because he's missed so much, but he doesn't realize it. Because for him, t- time just skips he doesn't know where or when he is really um so he kind of just still thinks that we're all a big happy family and I mean we don't call him dad we call him Bjorn because he's not a dad he missed eight years eight years so um I think it's just our way of verbalizing kind of our feeling towards him and he knows like he realizes like why we don't call him dad Um, and I mean, even my little brother, he doesn't call him dad. And when Bjorn does visit, it can be chaos all over again for him. Chris, please take us inside that moment because you guys were able to witness one of those episodes. How did he respond and react to the external stimuli? They are coming back from a pep rally inside a gym and the noise has been very intense and there've been a lot of kids around and the family is sort of filing back into their home. And as they file back into their home, Bjorn turns to the camera and he puts his hands maybe four inches from each of his ears and moves his hands back and forth and he goes, chaos, chaos. Organized chaos. As if he's hearing something that's, that's, you know, that's raging in his mind, like a mind storm of some kind. Chaos. Chaos. I forgot how loud those uh, pep rallies were. This idea that he'd expressed to us on numerous occasions with Dan and with me, I can't take it. Drives me nuts. Just chaos. That was a little window for us into what 
so much of his life has been since this injury. It's something that he doesn't have control over. And it's something that shattered his relationship with his family. And it's one of the roadblocks that he must deal with as he attempts to reestablish that relationship. Chris details it perfectly. And I think what happens afterwards also speaks to what he must be feeling because as the rest of the family goes inside to do whatever, Bjorn stays outside. He stays away from the family. He goes to the garage, which seemed to be his place of isolation. And he asks Karsten, instead of going inside with Karsten, I guess Karsten was going to play him something on his trombone because he's, he needed some help or, or I'm not sure what it was, but instead of going inside with Karsten and being with the family, Bjorn asks Karsten to come outside with him. Go grab Karsten for me. Okay, okay. So that he can practice with him outside and be away from everything else that's going on inside. So it's almost like he can concentrate on one thing at a time. You want me to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? There you go. I know that one. And and just being around the the swarming noise and the regular hubbub of family life is just too much for him. Bjorn's kids, especially his two oldest daughters, have sweet, loving memories with their dad. Memories they can't share with him now because he is unable to remember. Your daughter Maddie remembers when she was six years old, she tried out for the Dance the Nutcracker and she didn't get in. And that you took her to the Nutcracker. and took care of her. Very possible. What happened to that guy? Uh, Laying on that field somewhere. How many times do you think you had a concussion playing football? A good concussion, eight or nine times. I mean, there have been times where, you know, you're laying on the ground and the birds are flying around and you get back up and you're okay. But there are, you know, times where guys grab you by the shoulder pads and you're trying to figure out what's up and down and where the grass is and where the dirt is and what bench you're going to. Although he rejected it for some time, Bjorn says he is finally getting some medical attention to help deal with the lingering headaches and the ringing in his ears. This guy gave me some stuff to take for my headaches and the ringing and whatever. And that didn't work. So he gave me some other stuff to take and that's not working. And he's trying to get me to see NFL concussion guy, see if I can get some control of what's going on. But that seems to be the extent of the help he's willing to get. Instead, he believes being away from his family somewhere in Arizona, away from the chaos, gives him the calm he needs. Just getting away from it all. Tell me why. Try to get some order in my head. Without medical assistance? Well, Without counseling? Not a counseling kind of guy. How has that worked out for you? Still alive. 
We'll be right back. Still Alive. Bjorn Nitmo told Chris Connolly, Still Alive. To his four children and ex-wife, knowing if he is still alive is something they're left wondering most of the time. The man that shows up on their doorstep is not the same baby-faced Bjorn that you see on YouTube clips. For Madeline, it is also a reminder of Bjorn's fragile state. Yes, he may have been on the David Letterman show, and yes, he may have played football, but I mean, now his life is in shambles. Like, he can't remember anything. His body is, like, falling apart. Uh, You said he's in shambles. It's a big word. What are your fears for him? That he's going to die. For most of their young lives, Bjorn's children weren't aware of his issues with concussions and the residual effects. And although it's relieved some of the anger they hold towards their father for leaving them, it's still hard for them to understand why he wouldn't do more to make the relationships better. One part of me was kind of relieved because I was like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't us. We weren't the issue. It was something else. Like, he didn't hate us. And another part of me was upset again because I was like... (laughs) It's not his fault the way he is the way he is, and he can't help himself. (sighs) What was it like when you tried to talk to your father about what had happened to him? Um, for a long time there was like a lot of resistance, and he didn't want to talk about it. Because he didn't want to admit that he needed help. Um, now he's kind of resigned into the fact that he does. Because, I mean, we've kind of sat him down. We've talked to him and we're like, Bjorn, you need help. You're not going to get better. You're going to get worse. And you, I mean, for all we know, you only have a few years. And my mom said, she's like, I would like your, if you have only a few years, I would like them to be happy memory with the kids. I would like the kids to have some good memories of you. It's difficult for the kids to really let go. Yes, they may call him Bjorn instead of Dad, and they expect the worst from him at times. But deep down, they also hope for the best. Katarina, for one, hasn't given up hope. What, in your mind, would be a good relationship to have, or the right relationship to have with your dad today? What would you like that to be? I'd like him to be here with us and helping, I mean, being here with us and going through the rest of high school with Annika and Karsten because me and Maddie are out. And then him being involved since I'm going to get married in a couple years, maybe. And be involved in that, too. Would you want him to be part of your wedding, giving everything that happened? How come? Because I still want him to be there. Do you think that'll happen? Maybe. After reporting on this story for several months and spending time with Bjorn and his family, the Nitmo's future seems uncertain for Chris Conley. 
Like many of us, there's a gap between the things he says and the things he does. Yet for his children, he sometimes remains maddeningly out of reach. He's there and then he's not there, accessible and not accessible. And whether this is an act of will or something which is an inevitable function of what goes on in his turbulent mind is difficult to know. He felt he had to walk away from his family. His family, to some degree, understands why he felt that way. They yearn for him, and he, on some level, yearns for them. And in their understandably human, somewhat imperfect way, they will continue to try to find ways to connect. Bjorn's health status is uncertain. Although at first he did tell Danny he was willing to see a doctor and have it documented for this project, Bjorn never followed up. We don't know exactly what he's going through medically, but we do know that he says he's trying to get help. Whether that means he continues to try or that he just gives up and accepts what's happening to him, that's completely up to Bjorn. He has the opportunity to get help. He's part of the NFL family. He could go through the NFL PA if he wanted to, but I'm not I'm not positive that Bjorn wants to see this all the way through for whatever reasons. And the difficult with Bjorn is you just don't know what's happening in his head because he doesn't tell people what's going on. The day Buffalo News reporter Tim Graham and Mary Lois located Bjorn in the RV park, all three went to dinner so Tim could ask Bjorn a few questions. During the conversation, Tim noticed something. He's a tough one to crack. Obviously, I mean, the guy's guard is up. He's sitting down with a with a journalist, uh, something that he's not used to doing, and or sitting down with another human being, uh, really, uh, you know, other than just uh, casual interactions, probably through the course of his day and, and with his jobs and things. Uh, but to sit down and have a meaningful conversation, this is not somebody who's gone through therapy or anything like that. So, uh, you know, there were times we I asked him how dark it had gotten and how dark his thoughts had turned. And he knew what I was getting at. And um, he talked about how, no, he would never want to kill himself, that life is too beautiful, it's too precious. But as he was saying it, his lower lip's trembling, his eyes are getting glassy, he's looking out the window in a 100-mile stare. He, uh, he was not convincing. We'd like to thank Bjorn Nitmo for allowing us to tell his story. Mary Lois, Katerina, and Madeline Nitmo, and the rest of the family for letting us into their home. And a big thanks to Tim Graham for sharing so many insightful details with us. These episodes were produced by Barry Abrams and Christine Newby. Edited by Melissa Horton, Trent Knight, Justin Belcher, Joshua DeLeon, Jenna Kajowski, and Lamar English. Danny Arruda and Chris Connolly provided field producing and reporting. Gustavo Coletti is the senior managing producer. Patricia Mays is the coordinating producer. David Cummings is the audio content strategist. Peter Giannassini is the senior director of programming. And Victor Vitarelli is the executive producer. I'm your host, Jen Latta. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>